Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. Hi, everybody. On today's episode, I get to talk to Dr. Sakshi Tiku, who is from India, and she is an expert in sex, love, and occupational therapy. So we talk a lot about how people with disabilities can experience pleasure and intimacy while still coping with whatever symptoms that they're having from their disability. And it actually goes so much deeper than that. We talk about how to love yourself and how to validate and prioritize your own pleasure. And I just loved talking to her and I can't wait to share this episode with you. So let's get started. Hi, my name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis. I've lived with rheumatoid arthritis for 17 years, and I'm also a mom, teacher, and occupational therapist. I'm so excited to share my tricks for managing the ups and downs of life with arthritis. Everything from kitchen life hacks to how to respond when people say you don't look sick, stress, work, sex, anxiety, fatigue, pregnancy, and parenting with chronic illness. No topic will be off limits here. I'll also talk to other patients and share their stories and advice. Think of this as your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. I'm so excited to have Dr. Tiku here today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, like where you live and why you became an occupational therapist? Okay, I'll answer the first question and then I'll get back to okay, why yeah. I became an occupational therapist. <laughs> Those are two <laughs> so very different, different questions. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's a fun story, especially for me. So um, I'm 23 years old, a cisgender female. I identify as bisexual and I was born and raised in Mumbai. I have completed my bachelor's in occupational therapy uh, from KM Hospital and I graduated earlier last year, which is in February 2019. And since then, I have been working in school-based telehealth, 
and a home healthcare setup. Now, going back to the first part, why I got into occupational therapy. So yes. I really had no idea. Actually, I had to, I wanted to be a gynecologist. But then as I am a person who, who a person with disabilities and a person who is surviving through a lot of chronic illnesses, I did not think that was the profession I could have survived or I could have done justice to. And that is why that is when I actually shifted from physiotherapy and processes or occupational therapy. The, all the three options were available to me so that I get to choose something that's different. And I still get to pursue my education in serving people because that was my idea. I was really fascinated with the entire anatomy. So that was my idea of getting into it. It was only later only later towards like the final year and my internship of bachelor's in occupational therapy that I fell madly in love with occupational therapy. So that is how the journey has been. <laughs> well, and something that fascinates me about occupational therapy in general is that you can take like whatever passion you have and then figure out a way to, you know, serve that passion. Like for me, it initially was children with neurodiversity, like on the autism spectrum or different, you know, different brain wiring. And then it became arthritis through my experiences as a patient. And so it's just such a fun, like broad field that you can then narrow down your interest in. So it sounds like your own personal experiences kind of led you to specializing in sex and love and relationships. But I would love to hear more about how you got into this work because it is it is considered like a niche area in OT. Yeah. It's not one that everyone's exposed to. So like I have a problem in a good way, in a good way, but yeah. I still have a problem. I want to explore things that have not been done before so that I get enough time working through it. I get time to research about it. I can put, it's something that I, like there has to be like a doctor Sakshi to touch to it. If I do not get to do that, or if I have to follow certain set of rules all the time, I get bored really easily and I will leave that thing. That I, that's my biggest problem with anything in life. I think that anything. seems like a superpower that you, that you don't want to take the status quo and you want to like put your own stamp on things. I'm going to reframe that right now. So I'm quoting my mother and she's, she, oh. she really thinks that I am, I am. And, and she pointed it out very rightly that, you know, why? So it started when I was introduced to psychology in second year. Uh, of my occupational therapy education and I was mesmerized by what Freud has to say about psychosexual development now I know it's very controversial people do not like Freud very much but there's this theory of psychosexual development that was so beautifully put and it still makes me wonder if we are talking about and that was the also, that was also the time when we were still learning about occupational science so if we are talking about science and sexuality would it not be one of the occupation that the person would be getting into so which is what led me to actually scan through pedrity uh, we were referring pedrity textbook during that like during the first two years of our education and i saw a beautiful chapter written as sexual dysfunctions and how are you going to treat it in occupational therapy and that and the entire five to six pages had these beautiful pictures it was talking about what positions to take, but nowhere did they actually mention what an occupational therapist would be doing. Hmm. Yeah, right? theory, but not practice, sounds like. Nothing, nothing at all, nothing at all. I mean, if you go through any other chapter in the textbook, 
any other chapter. Okay, I love pedigree. And if you go through any other chapter in the textbook, you have so much content. I know I have went back to Pedrity just to treat my patient again, and it has been so informational. But when it came to sexuality, I was blank. And I was like, okay, toys. Okay, I need to be going through that. Okay, I need to be doing some modifications. But what, what kind of modifications? You are not even using the word activity analysis over there, where, whereas you use that word every other time, every second time in every other chapter. And you yeah. did not use those words there. So yeah, you definitely, it sounds like you identified a problem that there wasn't enough information, even in, or the way I pronounce it is Pedretti. I don't know if everyone pronounces it differently, but that, that, that's like our seminal textbook for occupational therapy. So yeah, if it's mm -hmm. not covered well there, then it's a problem because that's kind of like the foundational, one of the foundational texts, along with the OT practice framework which I do believe the fourth version of the OT practice framework does have some more detail about sexual identity and sexual activity. But, but yeah, so you were, you were fascinated by the fact that there wasn't a lot of, or let me try to paraphrase. It sounds like you were fascinated and kind of irritated in a way that you turned into productivity. <laughs> you were productively irritated at the fact that they, it sounds, it's very, I'm sorry to project, but it's so similar to me to be like, because I was, the reason I did arthritis life is I was irritated by the lack of resources for people with arthritis. It's Definitely. particularly inflammatory arthritis, not, not osteo wear and tear, but you know, the kind that you can get when you're younger and yeah. that mm -hmm. has fatigue mm -hmm. and everything. So yeah, I think noticing something that, that frustrates you or irritates you and that you think isn't good enough is a great motivator, you know, if you're the kind of person that likes to solve problems, which sounds like you are. See, you solved the entire thing. Oh, yay. <laughs> So then how did you learn more? How did you get, kind of get to where you are now? Not to say that you're like, no, everyone's always a work in progress. We're always learning. But what are some of the things that helped you? If that textbook wasn't the most helpful, what did help you learn more? I say this as like a pro and con. We have a liberty of being with our clients. So we get an early on exposure. Uh, we have direct hands-on expertise and exposure with our clients, obviously supervised, but then by the like towards the end like by the time you get to your final year and your internship you are all on your own and they expect you to know things and now suddenly you are like from a cocoon like from a really shielded shell you are directly put in front of the patient and asked to treat everything and then you need to get get into the whole holistic idea of how this needs to be done and how it's supposed to be done and and then when you start working with the interdisciplinary team you do realize that they are not mentioning certain things or like when you actually perform standardized assessments on them, you do realize, like you, you do find certain sections which say about, which talk about intimacy, which talk about fine motor dexterity or things like that. And the moment you go on and on and, and in generally, like when, when I used to ask them, you know, this is also the area that we could help you with. If you are interested, you can come to us. There would be nurses and there will be a surgeon who can help you out with this. And we will always be available here. And, and the first time that I heard this back from, so I was in a community-based community setup then, and that was my first client in my final year that I had asked them that if you are experiencing a fairly young, a fairly young woman, mm -hmm. identify, identify this woman, 
And I asked her if this is something that has been hampering uh, with your intimate life as well, apart from some ergonomic modifications. We, I also suggested that if this is the area that is concerning you, I can definitely help you with certain things that you could do better. And I did not start with bombarding her with information that, you know, I can do this and I can do that. I just gave her resources or people she could go to in case she also wants help in that area. And she very randomly, she said that you are the only person who has asked me this. And I have been coming to this hospital for two months now and nobody cared about it. And this thing, I took this thing and I've continued it for like that one and a half year of my college. And the experience has been amazing. The response has been amazing. And I cannot believe how confident it makes you. Like the first time you become so awkward and yeah. you, so awkwardly frame, you so awkwardly frame it because you do not know if your client is going to get angry because how dare she ask me about this. So then the response was very nice. And some of them actually say that we may not be comfortable or, you know, we will prefer, we will, we will prefer some elder therapist or uh, mm. we do not want to talk about it. We are not experiencing anything of that sort. And so that's completely fine. We are still here. If at any point, if you think that you will need us, we'll still be here. And I think, yeah, I think so many therapists, occupational therapists or others, they, like you said, they feel this initial awkwardness about bringing it up. But like you said, it could literally just be a question, a simple question of, you know, not everyone knows, but sexual activity and intimacy is something that occupational therapy can help with. So if that's something that you want to discuss further, I'm happy to talk to you about that. It doesn't have to be like, hi, I'm going to give you a 10 minute spiel on sex and why it's great. Like it doesn't, you know, it could just be a question. And the fact that no one else, like you said, has asked that makes it so important for us to I mean I I think there's so many misconceptions like I know I did a skilled nursing internship where it was people who are older adults you know quote-unquote in other words elderly people and a lot of times people assume oh well they're quote-unquote they're old they're not having sex well that's not true you know if you have a hip replacement you need to know how to engage in sexual activity if that's what they're it's important to them. And I did, I will say spinal cord injury seems to be the one area that everyone for sure mentions. Talks about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I did, I did have an internship in spinal cord, but what I think is funny is I think that there's kind of these layers of like intersectionality, right? Because mostly men get spinal cord injuries. And so it's like, mm-hmm. interestingly, when it affects men, everyone talks about it, but what about, you know, anyway, that's a little soapbox, but, um, but you're saying the setting that you've been in is, a, you said mm-hmm. community-based. Is that an outpatient community-based or community-based like mm-hmm. hospital? Oh, okay. So we usually have like in situ or within the hospital. So mm-hmm. you need not go outside, but it's like an amalgamation of about four or five hospitals together with a lot oh, of specialities. Yeah. So a lot of specialties together, put together in like around the radius of one to two kilometers. So mm-hmm. it's like a mm-hmm. huge hospital, number of settings, and then they just put you in there like that that's okay that's so, great so yeah so to answer your question the reason that okay so the reason the knowledge or, or like I have that kind of an experience first because I asked this question in every single setting or clinical rotation that I went to yeah every except pediatrics which I'll come at later but then mm-hmm. but but every single setting and to be very honest I did not I had enough information because I think by that time OT had taught me that you've got to be creative Mm-hmm. And you need to help, you need to ask the client to help you guide them. And that is exactly what was happening throughout my experience or throughout my education or even in practice right now. 
they help me so much and they tell me what do they want so i i i don't have to actually go ahead and search things they have done half half of my homework for me i just tell them what could be best for them that's all no that's so perfect i think even the aota the american occupational therapy association on their front page of their website it says or if you go to about ot it says we don't ask what's the matter with you we ask what matters to you matters and i thought you. that's such a great yeah and i think it's and i think the majority of people listening to this podcast are people with arthritis living with arthritis, um, but there was also a, quite a few occupational therapists listening too. So hopefully this is interesting to, to both camps, but I, I am curious, now you started your own company, you know, Sex, Love, and OT, doing education and providing tools and advocating for people's sexual pleasure and rights. And there's just so many things I want to ask you about that. But let's first start with what are some of the barriers that people with disabilities in general and chronic pain specifically, what are some of the barriers people in those populations have with sexual participation and intimacy? I think it's, it differs from, from what kind of diagnosis you have or what it is. But then most of the times, it's the fact that something's really wrong with them. And now, and the fact that they, are, they have a disability right now, they suddenly shouldn't be thinking about anything sexual or they no longer are this person who can be perceived as sexy this has been one of one of the major things forget pain forget everything else i think this has been one primary thing you know i haven't thought about that i mean i get this response all the time i haven't thought thought about that is it okay to think about it and i'm like you tell me is it okay or not because i cannot tell you i'm just asking if if this is what you've considered or, or how are you trying to keep yourself happy or content or you know trying to stay in touch with yourself with your body how are you trying to do that and they always say that we no longer perceive ourselves as, as a sexy being or can, or should we be having sex? Is it safe? Is it not going to, you know, exaggerate our uh, disability or any of the symptomatic things at the, at the moment? Is it going to ag- aggravate it in some way? And I'm like, where are they getting this kind of information? Where? Who is saying all these kind of things? I think it's the culture, right? Like how often are you, you know, and I obviously, you know, so you're in India, I'm in the United States, but you know, the representation of people with disabilities is often in, in the media, which is where a lot of, we get a lot of our ideas of what's quote unquote, you know, what's normal and what's expected is, you know, there's a lot of these, like, what do they call it? The savior narratives where the person with a disability is sad and they're unhappy. And then the able-bodied person comes and saves them and makes them more normal. And now they're happy, you know, and it's like, or the, you know, the doctor comes in and it fixes Timmy's legs and now Timmy can walk again and he, everyone's happy, you know, but there's, there's just not a lot of representation. I think, I think that's one of the, one of the reasons it's very complicated, like you said, but you know, if you don't see people in the wider media, someone with a congenital limb difference, you know, I think there's a lot more, like I'm 38. So when I grew up, there was like, not even, there was so few represent, so little representation there. They started, it was like, they were starting to have a political correctness around showing mm-hmm. people in wheelchairs, which is a good, which was a start, but there, it was nothing else. It was like, just, okay, there's some people in wheelchairs anyway, everyone else, you know, like it wasn't very deep, but now like mm-hmm. I've seen, you know, for like Target or other like giant companies, they'll have someone with like a congenital limb difference where they have like one whole arm and one arm that's not developed below the, the elbow or something like that. And so 
hopefully, I'm kind of rambling, but hopefully, you know, through time that's becoming, and, and social media, there is a, a campaign I saw something like people with disabilities are sexy. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? There are people yeah, who are, yeah. I forget mm-hmm. what it's called, the hashtag, but I'll include it. I'll find it included in the comments because, you know, that is so empowering to people to see pictures and stories of others. So sorry, so your train, I didn't mean to ruin your train of thought. So you're talking about like art. You're so right. It's not just the physical. It's not like, oh, I'm in pain. Therefore I can't have sex today. It's like, it's so deep. It's so about like my identity as like a sexual being, you know, is so altered by having a disability potentially. But what are some of the things then that, what are some ways that you've worked on that with people, I guess, or advice you have for people who are struggling to not feel sexy because of their condition? Before I go into it, I, I usually, whenever I meet my clients or I, I have met my clients, I usually talk about this concept where we define dysfunction with DYF or dysfunction, D-I-F, where the only difference is, are you trying to dis your functions or is it actually a dysfunction? So this oh, is... <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That was one of the wordplays that I, I have with my clients who do understand English. But if not, then I have the same in my, my local vernacular that is Hindi. So every time we have this conversation, I ask them that, you know, what is it? What do you think it actually is? And then I walk them through it. And, you know, some of the symptoms, it usually falls under the area of dysfunction. Most of the times it's that DIF function. So the moment you start asking them to, you know, talk about it, you know, have you thought about it? Or, you know, now that today you will be doing, like, while you will be stretching out a little bit, maybe you try to add a little bit of moisturizer later on, or, you know, just give yourself a very, very slight massage, which, which, which does not contraindicate with your condition right now, but then in a way that does give you a lot of tactile experience and a sensory experience as well. But then it mm-hmm. helps you get back in touch with your body. It does not mean you go back today and, you know, let's get it. Let's get it done. Let's have sex tonight. But no, get in touch with yourself. You know, have you just tried to, you know, dress up sexy? Or, you know, have you tried yeah. to put on your makeup today? You know, would you like that? Or have you tried to make your hair today? Are you going to ditch your pajamas today and like wear little shorts? Anything. It's, it's, it's got to be that basic. And sometimes it's such a huge motivator that the moment you ask them to do something for themselves, they start, and then that's like half work done. You have given them an option that suits them the best. Now they know what they want. They want. I, can, I can actually guide them and when to do it. So if, if they usually have a medication time, so when are they going to do it? If, if they are busy throughout the day or, you know, even... So this is a very simple activity that I, I, I advise them. Just make a pie chart and mm-hmm. try time management one, right? So just mm-hmm. find out the portions in your day and actually point out to me where you are spending time with yourself and you are thinking about yourself only. There's nothing else in the world. It's just mm-hmm. you and your body and any other experience that you wish to feel, which makes you happy, which makes you feel pleasurable, which makes you feel comfortable in your own skin, anything. And that's, and that works like, <laughs> I don't know, just add anything that works like magic, you know, for them, yeah. because nobody has actually asked them to get back to their partner, because that's the crap thing that they hear all the time. That's one thing they are made feel guilty about that it is them 
who is not able to do it or they mm-hmm. have this patient suddenly patient kind of role but yeah. even if they are with a partner i do not mind that but i i always always first emphasize that they should get in touch with themselves first before they want to go ahead and talk to their partner about anything else because if you do not know about your own body you cannot cannot ever communicate about the same with your partner and they'll be as clueless as you and then you will feel end up ah yeah and then you end up feeling bad and thinking that you are the problem and now suddenly you have done what i was talking about dis function you are dissing your own function and you've made it look like a dysfunction right But when it's when it's really not when it's really not that's so beautiful like i think also spending time on yourself and focusing on your own pleasure it like covertly or implicitly communicates to yourself how worthy you are you know and i i think a lot of people with disabilities that i've talked to have ended up feeling that they kind of owe it to their partner like you know sex or intimacy is something that they do for their partner so their partner feels good and i have to say i grew up in a different in an era in the 80s and 90s where it was basically like sex is something and i i'm straight so sex is something the one thing a message i got sex is something that boys like and girls either have the power to give it to them or not like it was there was nothing about my own pleasure in it it like took me a really long time and it only was like a few really really wonderful boyfriends that were like no like i actually want you to i'm like no i'm i'm fine i'm fine this is fine i don't want you to worry about me you know they're like no i actually like you know <laughs> they were evolved yeah. for that era they're like no i want you to like have fun too i'm like oh okay i guess i can you know but i had to give myself permission i had to see myself as valid and what this is even before i had rheumatoid arthritis you know but giving yourself permission mm-hmm. just as a human being whether you have a disability or not so i i love i've never thought of it that in those terms i think that's beautiful what are some I, of the responses I, I, you get from people i'm curious oh they they always love it they always love it oh good some of them think that it's too nerdy <laughs> some of them who actually <laughs> i've gotten that before them, too <laughs> the ones who who know and what i'm talking about and those who so like when you're in india you do not usually get a lot of people who are very very educated but then now that i've started um, my practice apart from the government hospital that i was initially studying in now it's much more approachable to people who do understand english or who have the basic understanding of how to access internet or how to book an appointment so they usually get that and they're like oh this is nerdy but it's cool in a way so i'm like <laughs> that's me <laughs> yeah i i don't know all of the norms in the area of india that you're at but i know that in some parts of the world you know there is not a lot of sex education for for youth or not a lot of parts it's nowhere in india no i, I know. know where you <laughs> only yeah you're right there's some super liberal place maybe like in san francisco they're they're giving good i mean i've heard of some really good like sex positive oh no it's like the netherlands right it's like certain mm. countries in europe are doing a really good job normalizing it like from a young age but yeah i just remember mine was so and i'm sorry for those listening who also listen to the other podcast that i already talked about this but it was so fear based like i was so afraid like I was afraid of getting an STD. I was afraid of getting pregnant. I, there was nothing about it that was like the education that I got that was like this is something that people do when they love each other and it's like a way to like 
feel close to your partner and feel good. It was like, no, this is bad, 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 bad. People do this. If you do this, you're going to die, you know? And so I was, it took me a long time to give myself permission to have pleasure basically for many reasons. And I was not one of those kids that most kids are like, it won't happen to me. No, I was not. I was like, it will happen to me. Uh, that all, that all worked quote unquote. It had the intended effect it was supposed to be, which it scared me away from ever doing any drugs or having sex, which is like, so it obviously like that's adaptive in some ways. Like I didn't die in a drunk driving accident that I was causing or anything like that. But, but the, the, it was an exaggerate, you know, I have anxiety disorder and this is like kind of a example of that. It was an exaggerated response to a threat. Response to it, yeah. Yeah, but, they, I, but the threat was yeah. communicated as way worse than it actually, anyway, yeah. Go on, go on. So, no, but I get, no, no, I get it. I, I completely get it. And I have this question asked every time and they do bring up how, what it is like in India and, you know, to, mm. to do something of this sort or, you know, to even just say sex, the word sex, if you say that, mm. oh my God, people will be looking at you as if you're a criminal. Mm. And, oh, it's that bad. And they always ask me, how did you grow up? Or, you know, your household would have been really cool. Your parents, they must have been really cool. I'm like, no. Actually, it's the opposite. And they still, and yeah, they still believe that I am not supposed to kiss somebody or, you know, try to be in relation with somebody else uh, beyond marriage. That's not, that's not allowed. It's still not allowed. Mm -hmm. Just because I practice this and just because I have advocated about it enough in my home, there are certain cultural beliefs that my parents have. They have some values that they try to inculcate in their children. And that's something that they have learned. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I do not have any right to say that you are one of those people who have <laughs> ruined it for our generation. I cannot be saying that. Mm. At this point in time, I can confidently talk about sex with my parents. So after this two years of advocacy, and it started with home. It started with home. Mm. I, I had to tell them that this is the area that I'm interested in. There's not much done, but then I'm trying to pursue it in whatever way I can. I'm not sure what will happen, but I'll try we can say condom, we can say periods out loud, we can say that we are, we are having cramps, uh, we can talk about masturbation, we can say the word pleasure, we can talk about consent, we can talk about boundaries. Yeah. And none of this, and Indian household isn't like that, isn't like that. You are very, very, very close with your family. You do not leave them, you stay with them as long as you can, if you are not moving out or anything, but you stay with them. It's, it's, that is how it is. That, that's how the culture here is. But, but despite that, there are, there are like certain things that you cannot change about somebody's perception. So there are certain, like I said, so there are certain things that they do not agree with, but they do not have the right to stop me from it. And they understand what I'm trying to go ahead with. It does not, it's not in, concord, in concordance with whatever they believe, but they cannot stop me from doing what I want to stop because they understand that some of them are actually suffering you know some of them actually cannot do it most of the people are not getting the kind of education that they should have had and that is how it is nobody talks about it some people are actually suffering so I think they are trying to make the peace with it but then it all comes with you you know it all comes with you yeah I mean I'm such a people pleaser that I think it would be hard to know that maybe you're not taking the path of, of least resistance for your parents, like the, your, the, the path that would be easiest for your parents, but you're taking a path that 
like there are so few things that everyone, I shouldn't say everyone, but most people in their lifetimes are going to experience. You know, there's so mm-hmm. few things we can say like, and one of them is most people experience some amount of intimacy with another human being, if that's a value to them. You know, I know there's something that are asexual and that's not what they value or want, but their majority of people will have in their lifetime, if they want it, some sort of intimate relationship. So you're able to, if you focus on this area, you're able to have such a large impact, you know? But, but yeah, it's, it's ironic that it's such a taboo to talk about given that it's like, everyone's doing it. <laughs> yeah. Have you only had sex twice? I used to think that like, oh, my parents have had sex. Exactly. Like, why? Yeah. I, they, they get so excited about, oh my God. It's, it's actually, it's actually celebrated here that whenever a girl starts menstruating or if somebody obviously gets pregnant. So it's, it's a huge thing. They actually celebrate it. They, they think that yeah. it's a new phase in their life. And I'm like, what are you celebrating? They just had sex. Yeah. <laughs> or like, that's, we should celebrate all of it, right? Or none of it. Like, don't just pick and choose. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't say I they. Know. I mean, I'm not trying to talk, talk about people's cultures being, you know, wrong or right. It's just, it's funny that across, it's, it's like a taboo across many cultures, right? Like, and I, similar to you, I loved studying psychology and I, I minored in anthropology in my bachelor's and then I got my master's in OT. But yeah, there's, there's a few things that humans, I remember re- learning, there's a few things that humans don't habituate to and it's sex and, and pain are two things mm-hmm. we don't really habituate to very much. And there's mm-hmm. a few things that are like taboos in all culture in not all cultures, but there's, there's different kinds of taboos that are common across cultures. And one of them is. I, just, uh, I think while I actually started talking to people and now that I speak to people around the world, I get to realize that it's not the culture we have. We, we have decided to scapegoat cultures or we've decided to, you know, create something about them while when we actually go back, I don't think Indian culture ever said that it can be different for other cultures. It can definitely, uh, because I see some of the pastors saying this is a sin and masturbation is a sin. But I would, I would personally say that when, when they say that India is a very conservative culture, I, I'm like, we invented Kama Sutra. What are you talking about? I was about? just thinking about that. Yeah. We, we invented it. We are saying you can have group sex. We are saying that you do homosexuality isn't a sin. We are saying that you can experiment with sex. We are talking about intimacy. We are doing what Masters and Johnson did by the research of sensate focus. We already did that in Kama Sutra. What are you guys doing? So it's, most of the times, it's, it's not the culture, but the way people have decided to perceive the culture. Mm. You know, it was, it was supposed to be something more delicate. It was supposed to be something more sacred, something that has meaning. And it is like that. It, so for, while I was researching back the, the cultural narrative of sexuality in India, they consider sex work valid. They say that it's actually a noble job. And then there would be this person who has the capability and who has the expertise and the skills to create that kind of an arousal with some, for some person, which in itself is considered a good skill. You can do it just the purpose of surrogacy. If maybe if somebody cannot do it, you can do it for the purpose of surrogacy and that's a valid, valid, valid profession. You can just do it for your own pleasure. And it says that. It says that you can do it for your own pleasure. 
so i i don't know what what happened and where is our culture saying that you cannot be doing this the way that you've perceived it in a way that you know this is not supposed to be done for fun and that's all <sighs> it's so fascinating i'm sure that there's you know books that can be consulted about yeah, how did things evolve but i'm thinking about more maybe drilling only because i would love to talk about this all day actually because it's really fascinating. But, um, <laughs> later later yeah, yeah later that'll be offline <laughs> but in general you know you mentioned so I'm trying to think back to like tips and tricks because I know that's what some people kind mm. of are looking for, especially people with, with arthritis who mm. it's not just the physical pain, but it can also be like you talked about your identity as maybe less than. And so one of the things that I remember learning a little bit about, but I would love to hear your opinion on is, you know, what's the difference between like intimacy versus like sexual activity? Like intimacy mean in the sense of an intimate relationship between two people on like an emotional level. Does that make sense? Okay. So sometimes it cannot be emotional. You can keep the emotion outside of it and it can still be intimate. So oh. intimate is just the, I, oh yeah. <laughs> oh good. No, this is good. I'm literally curious. So yes, go on, go on. So, so this is how everything, everything has been redefined. Okay. So we are not staying back on whatever the dictionary says. Any time person, so take it this way, anybody casual, has a casual encounter with somebody, how can you say that they were not intimate? They were, they completely were. So the whole idea of intimacy is developing closeness with somebody and it does not have to be on an emotional level. It can be just on a sensory level. Anything that keeps you content or is, is fulfilling enough for you and you know, that, that is how it is. More than, more than, it going going deep into feelings and everything else. It's just the idea of having a more fulfilling multi-sensory experience. Mm. Just to put it more in more OT terms. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's totally a good education for me because yeah, I had learned, or maybe I mislearned, but that, that yeah, intimacy is the emotional part and sex or the activity is like the physical part. Mm. I know that's so reductivist, I guess. That's so... Like, I mean, I know I personally am not capable of having a physically intimate relationship that doesn't have an emotional component just because of who I am <laughs> as like a human, but I didn't know if everyone else is like that too. But that again, uh, that again is one of the kind of sexuality expressions, which is completely different, where you do require some amount of emotional, emotional intimacy. Why do we not leave it emotional, but we do say an emotional intimacy. So that is when what you were trying to say right now, that intimacy is supposed to be emotional. So you are not just having a multi-sensory experience, but it also on a psychological level does stimulate, stimulate some kind of feeling for you, some kind mm -hmm. of thought process for you, some kind of arousal or like we say, desire for you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that is how, that, that is, how it, it is different, intimacy in that way. Mm -hmm. Hi everybody, I'm interrupting really quickly to let you know that the waitlist is now open for the Rheumatoid Arthritis Roadmap, your guide for a full life with RA. So this is actually the same program that used to be called the Beginner's Guide to Life with Rheumatoid Arthritis, but I updated it with some pretty major changes and I can't wait to share more in the coming weeks. When I was talking to some of my friends who have rheumatoid arthritis specifically, just, just to pull out a diagnosis out of a hat, no, <laughs> that a lot of the conversation kept coming back to the 
communication between you and your partner and how vital that is and how important that is. But one of the things that can make communication difficult can be the power dynamics in like an established, let's say you're in an established like monogamous relationship. Sometimes there's kind of like a feeling of, okay, well, we try not to keep score, but sometimes it's kind of like, okay, well, he did this favor for me or I did this favor for him or her. Mm -hmm. Do you have any tips on just any overall communication, but also like navigating some of those potentially power dynamics in a relationship where maybe one person's able-bodied and one has a disability? That's a big question. So I'll discuss it. No, yeah, it's amazing. I love communication. I'm bad at it, but I love communication. (laughs) I doubt that. We're all works in progress. (laughs) But okay, so I'll 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 do it for both the things. In while you are trying to date, and when you're already in a relationship, I'll explore both of them. Great. I'll start with while you are in a relationship with a person. So there's this very underrated skill of the five love five love languages. I think every I think you must be aware of it. Are you? Yes. Yeah. But just, I'll put a link in the show notes for people who aren't. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, and, and that's the most beautiful thing that you could ever do with your partner or anybody else, because you are trying to communicate how you feel in the moment, not just through one act, but through various acts, which is very important because if you won't have pancakes for breakfast every single day, why are you trying to love your partner in only one way? You know? Right. So, so you need to you need to mix it up just because the partner you are very comfortable with your partner does not mean that you take them for granted or just because and sometimes i i've actually met only a few mean clients who were really mean to their partner who thought that now that i have a disability i should be treated like a princess or a prince and all of the other responsibilities should be taken over by the other partner and they should treat me like since I'm very sensitive and I'm at the risk of getting another flare or, you know, I'm just much more delicate. I'm suffering much more. But how do you decide that? Who are you to decide that you are suffering more than any other person? Suffering is the same for everybody. It may look differently, but everybody has a different threshold to, you know, actually tolerate that, those kind of things. So I, I actually go back to those things. And I, again, go back to the same pie chart. Like I had mentioned the first time, you know, Try to put your life over there. And I do the same thing with pain, pain as well. What are the certain things? Again, draw that same pie chart. There's so many good things you can do with a stupid pie chart. So yeah. <laughs> I'll put so, a link to a pie chart in the show notes too. An example. Yeah. It's what they, you're talking the one with the 24 hours in the day, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anything of that sort. So yeah. I, I do it. I can, you, you can do it. You can do it with anything else. Now that I'm asking them to do it with the feelings that they feel, you know, mm-hmm. so what are you feeling? So maybe in this much time of the relationship or, you know, after the diagnosis to till this date, I have felt this, this much percentage of my relationship actually felt joyous. And I'm going away from the words of happy and just sad. I'm saying you felt guilty you felt joyous, you felt pleasant. This was irritating. Choose all of those words, move away from happy and sad. There's emotional is actually on a spectrum. So, right. so go ahead, describe that. And then I ask both the partners to share that, you know, and there's so much that you can learn. There's so much that you can learn because what did, how did you actually decide that this much portion of your moments were happy or this much mm-hmm. were actually joyous? 
what was actually irritating and and partners remember they remember everything very clearly so why not use it as a mean of communicating rather than actually fighting about it you know hear mm. it out what was if we are discussing if i actually find some common emotions on both the paper i take a seat, i take a back seat and i'm like what do you want to both start talking about you know now that you've had a chat about you know now that you've seen your pie charts what do you want to have a chat about and they choose one emotion and they talk about it and i'm just sitting back they need to talk about they are listening it i'm only here to show the red flag when they start fighting so <laughs> <laughs> when they start fighting yeah and and my only job comes later on when i'm discussing about what modifications they can be doing in terms of doing these things or how are they supposed to be communicating or like that is when i introduce the five love languages choose whatever you can right. whatever suits you the best what is the one way you want to show partner your partner the way you want to love them the five love languages there's words of affirmation physical touch acts of service what do i forget the other one quality time quality, quality time, time and- and gifts <laughs> it's such a simple concept that is so helpful because we tend to give love the way that we want to receive it and not the way that the person wants to and it's kind of like the golden rule is like treat others the way you want to be treated but that's not <clears throat> actually that's true no that's, absolutely yeah. not at my old job actually one of the best things i learned i worked in human resources believe it or not and they said don't treat others how you want to be treated treat them how they want to be treated i was like Exactly. Very good point. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And I learned that quite late in life. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. But like I said, my life has just started, but in this life. In this lifetime. Days, yeah. <laughs> it still took me such a long time to realize that. And that's so bad. It's so bad. Right. Well, it's how we're treated. It's how we're taught. As a child, you're taught treat other people the way you want to be treated. And so, you know, no, no better, do better. Have you read anything by Dr. John Gottman? He's the, he's a marriage mm-hmm. specialist. Yeah. And he does um, yeah. the four yeah. horsemen of the apocalypse. That has been super, super helpful. Amazing. My husband and I. Amazing. It's the I same kind of thing where it's that. like, there's the five love languages and then the four it's the same kind of concept where you have these four things to look out for. In this case, it's the four things you don't want to do in a, or do. humans tend to do and that, you know, don't, don't knock yourself for being human, but it's like defensiveness, stonewalling, contempt. And then I've always, I always forget one, but yeah. we're very defensive and we know that about ourselves. So the knowledge does help because we can mm-hmm. notice it as it's happening. And then stonewalling is where defensiveness is where you're so concerned with defending yourself that you don't look at your partner's perspective because you're focusing on you and why you're yes, right, right. Yeah. You know, which is not good. And then stonewalling is where it's like someone just refuses to engage. Like, nope, there's a wall here. You're not, I'm not going to, you know, engage. But the contempt is, is the mm-hmm. biggest predictor of divorce is, is, is th- seeing your partner as less than or just kind of yeah. looking disdainfully on them. Like, I don't even, your opinion is so stupid. Like, you know, and that's, mm-hmm. and that, so it's so yeah. important to kind of, to know these kind of frameworks and to, to look out for them in your relationships, whether yeah. it's talking about intimacy or any other things, but okay. So sorry. Mm-hmm. So you're saying in the committed relationship, the five love languages. Yeah. Awesome. And, and, and obviously the activity, activity by charts, definitely. That's yes. the most easiest thing you can get into. And then, yeah. and then maybe go on with short term, long term. What do you want for, and I always say that it's going to be a sexy experience. 
So sexual and a sensory. Ah. Mix it up. Sexory. I love that. <laughs> you should like patent all these things and like have all these. I was, I was actually talking to my brother about this today. You know, like I've come up with these two words. What am I supposed to do? I should be putting a parent on these words. And then I was like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Right. I'm like, oh no. What am I supposed to write? Well, and then you were talking about dysfunction, like dissing your function. And then yes. I was thinking, you know how, and I know a lot of people with disabilities don't like this kind of differently abled. People don't like that, right? A lot of times they don't want to be called differently abled because yeah. I think it's patronizing. But I would say diff function would be one different function. Like I just, I like, sometimes mm. I think of myself as I have to do things differently. It's not better or worse. It's just different, you know? Different. So True. that could be dysfunction, dysfunction. And then, so, okay, think about, and I think sec- sensory, yeah, we, we, as occupational therapists, we talk sensory all day long with pediatrics, but what about adults across the lifespan? Oh, yeah. oh, they need it the most. They yeah. need it the most. With kids, with kids, you see certain things happening and you are trying to start early on and they get that. But then, most of the times when you're considering adult who has had normal developmental milestones, so that's normal. Yeah. Who says that some person is not having some kind of a sensory processing disorder? At some point in time, somebody is going to be like that. I am tactile seeking. And I need, for that matter, I am tactile and proprioceptive seeking, which is the reason why I like cuddling. I like deep hugs. And that is my way of of having that kind of an intimacy with someone, be it my friends, be it any partner, be it with my parents. That is my form of intimacy. If mm-hmm. I'm very joyous, I, I touch somebody and, you know, I have the habit of high-fying somebody because that is yeah. my way of showing closeness or intimacy with someone. So that is yeah. how it is. And I'm saying develop those things. You will find something and you will find a middle ground for those things. So maybe you do not like cuddling. I do. But just for once, like we are saying, the service of giving Maybe I, you give me a tight, tight cuddle, you know, right, and, right. and for me that it, it does wonders. It does wonders, right? Not everything needs to, needs to be about sexual activity, which we say that you, I usually think about a sexual activity. Like I actually don't even do that, but I usually say genital to genital touch. Mm-hmm. If I really want to be talking about the activity sex, which has been considered as a notion, Mm-hmm. But, but apart from that, then oh, sorry, I forgot. What was I going? Where was oh. I going? <laughs> you mm-hmm. talked about like communication in a committed relationship, and I, I think I was, have- I was at sexery. Okay, I was at sexery. Sex- yes, yes. Yeah. So, so that's the reason why I'm. I, I like to keep it away from both of the things because you. It's it's like we said. You need much. You need a lot more stimulation in general when you are in a relationship already because you have already achieved that some amount of comfort zone and it's going to take you a lot more to push yourself or a lot more to stimulate yourself because you are already adapted to this thing right it's it's a relationship you have been with you are adapted to this person almost like habituated would you say like habituated exactly 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 so once that's done you are going to need a lot you have to put in a little more from your side Mm. to show or you know to be in touch with the person that you are with because the more you open up with your partner eventually in a relationship that that is that is exactly when you start getting more vulnerable and then you aren't sure if that vulnerability or the other partner is ready to face that kind of a vulnerability with you or you know are they on on the same page to share these feelings or emotions with you 
Right. So, right. so, so I think these two things really help a lot. So in that manner, it really, because you are still, still regulated in a way when you are trying to introduce something sensory based in a way that you'll be exchanging something. So you're much more regulated and in touch with yourself. But right. at the same time, you are core, like, not just self-regulation, but it's co-regulation. Yes. And, yeah. And it's, <laughs> and it's still going to, and still going to give you the same response that you're looking for. It's, it's the same that we've learned for pediatrics. We just need to apply it on others. So true. I, I know of a couple of occupational therapists who are starting to look at sensory processing and chronic pain in general and how sensory strategies can be helpful. And of course, you think about the classic quote unquote modalities like heat or cold, but there's so, that's always seen as more of a biomechanical thing where like, oh yeah, apply mm-hmm. heat to stiff joints so that it, it opens up the tissues. But what about the fact that heat is comforting and it makes you yeah. on a sensory level feel comforted and more regulated or a weighted blanket, you know, even if you're in pain, a weighted blanket or a compression glove for me works really well. Really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like that mm-hmm. hug, like if I get the proprioception seeking, and I know the people who are again, not occupational therapists are like, what are these ladies talking about? But happy to talk more offline about anyone who's confused about anything we're talking about. But, but yeah, that, that, that just sums it up. And I think that most of the times helps in improving communication a lot because now you are wondering together what's going to be best for you and your partner and not just you. That's, yeah. that's comfortable for both of you, right? right? So that's just for relationships. Now coming back to when you start dating, that's, that's the difficult part for everybody, I think. Yeah. So the disclosure part is when, when you actually trust this person and you do it in installments. It's not about hiding. You just say that there is something that physically hampers me. Or, you know, I cannot reach my potential emotionally in some way. Or mentally in some way. Give that disclaimer. Give that disclaimer. It's completely fine. If the person still stays and wants to know about it, fair enough. If not, do it eventually. You do not, It's not like ripping the band-aid off. I think it's hard it because... I guess I always disclosed early on because I didn't want to waste time with somebody who wasn't going to be open to it. And some people are like ableist or they'll say, I don't want to be with someone who has a health condition, you know, and I'd rather know earlier, but you're right. There's a way of maybe integrating into your overall identity rather than maybe making it a huge focus. I don't know. I think it's, I think it's hard. I think to me, it's like if someone's going to be scared away by my rheumatoid arthritis, I'd want to know that because I don't want to wait for more dates, you know, and fall for them or something. If it's going to be, it's kind of like, I would also say when I was dating in my like late twenties, you know, I want to have kids like that. If that's a deal breaker for you, like, I don't, I don't want to fall in love with you if you don't want kids, if you're, Mm -hmm. if that's a deal breaker for you, you know, and that's, I respect that if that's not what you want, but it's like, if somebody doesn't want to be with somebody with a disability or they can't handle that. I would just want to know earlier. If you're actually looking for a potential, if it's just casual, does it really matter to you or does it not? But then if you are trying to find a potential partner, you maybe want to take it slow. Maybe. And I'm not saying that you're hiding something. You just want to trust this person or, you know, at least try to trust this person or know this person first. Yeah. I I want to get your opinion about one example from, from a friend of mine. She said that she told someone that she had rheumatoid arthritis um, that she was th- that she was going to go on a date with from a dating site, and they said as long as it doesn't affect sex, that's okay. 
Can you I believe this? <laughs> what do you think That's people me. should say? I mean, I guess what should you say is not like a black and white answer, but like- We'll have to see. We'll yeah. have to see. We'll mm. have to see. It's not just me when I do the sex. I'm confident about what I do. Let me see what you can do when I'm oh, there. I love that. I love that. At any point, you cannot stop embracing and accepting your beautiful self just because you have a disability. I am going to have my low days when I do not feel sexy and that's completely fine. That's right. completely fine and that's human. Come on. Exactly. Everyone has them, whether it's a disability or something else. Like an emo- Exactly. You know. Exactly. So I think even a person who, who has limited mobility would is interested in having or engaging in any sexual activity for that matter, as long as they are doing their bit and I'm doing my bit, we both are good at it. We can communicate and get, get, get wonderful at it. Yeah. Yeah. That response should just, just help her out. I hope it's a her. Yeah. It was a her. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) Well, what's funny is I was thinking about asking about some like specific tips and tricks specifically for like people who might have limitations in their ability to have different positions and stuff due to arthritis. Do you have anything of that sort to recommend? If like common things are difficulty, like putting pressure on your wrists. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so I, I usually do not restrict them from using any kind of positions. I just say that if you are having like an active flare, just do not go very experimental with it. You know, try to use yeah. positions that are much more comfortable. Keep as many pillows and roll towels that are available for you. You can do that. Or the most important thing that I actually like star mark for them is that either do it in the morning or in the evening after when you've already taken your medication. So, so in that way, you, you know that your body is just a bit relaxed right. and it's not going to be very, very painful for you. Or if, if that is what you think, try to space out the activities that you're trying to do. You know, it right. does not have to be penetrative all the time. You can just have, you both can just have a good time with oral play or anal play and anything mm-hmm. of that sort that, that just helps you feel pleasurable. And that, that is all, this is all for right now. So mm-hmm. even if you, it does not, depending upon what kind of energy and how much endurance you have for the kind of activity you can still engage in something and it does not have to result in like the end result is not supposed to be penetration. It's about pleasure. As long as you can share that connection with each other, you are good to go. Scheduling sex is amazing. I, I have, I actually have adults who are, who are actually having better sex than they ever had while, you know, doing it spontaneously because now with disability, spontaneous sex becomes a lot of labor because, now you're trying to readjust things. You're like, no, I need to get in this position. Oh no, this is a yeah. lot more painful for me. But now, but now when you've already sh- put it on your calendar and you are not, and you do not know what's going to happen, I usually ask them to prepare something for themselves, you know, just have some yeah. kind of idea, idea in your mind that your partner would like, right. you know, um, that you would like doing to your partner or, you know, something that your partner would like. In right. this way, both of them are working for each other and for themselves as well, you know, they put thought into it. They are trying to recreate the whole moment. Plus the whole anticip- anticipation is amazing. Amazing. And like I said, again, it has to be a sexy experience and yeah. give them that which scheduling sex. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Because you are not looking for any other modifications. You are ready for this time. You have dedicated this time 
to to be with each other to connect with each other and you can do whatever the hell you want when you are trying to schedule it you know it's up to you who it's knows so what it will true. lead to no it's you, so funny knows? you mentioned that cuz yeah the the panel i had talked to they said the same thing and that you can you can tie your medications to knowing that you're going to have you know sex at a certain time and that also you can look forward to it it's kind of like a vacation when you know it's coming you can look, look forward mm-hmm. And the other thing that I thought was such a great idea that I'd want to throw out there in case there's any OTs listening to this one who didn't listen to the other is that um, one, of the, one of the girls decided when they were fully clothed to try out different positions in pillows and propping. And so you could separate, like, we're not trying to achieve a climax. We're not trying to actually mm-hmm. have penetrative sex right now. We're just having fun experimenting with positions that might work. And I was like, that's brilliant. Because when you try to sometimes experiment, when you're already kind of like, you know, um, aroused and then you're kind of like, oh, but this is kind of awkward. And then you still mm-hmm. kind of lose that momentum, but you can do it as more like a physical activity. Like, hey, let's just try. And she said that they were cracking mm-hmm. up and having so much fun together. Yeah, sometimes in pop culture, or they'll say things like, don't schedule sex. You should be spontaneous, you know, but that's totally not true for everyone. Like you're saying, yeah. Definitely. I'm... And people who haven't already tried it, it's actually like experimenting something new. And when you mm. say this to them, and 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 you truly get to understand if they go, they're gonna like it or not. But my experience so far has been they like it, they enjoy it. Yeah. The whole anticipation and that of that, oh, this, this is how it ends. It's definitely going to be something new since you know this is what we yeah. just discussed, and it's going to be like that. So you can plan, you can do it spontaneously as well. Mm-hmm. And I think there was four. Yes. I still have got a lot of points. I, I, you. I, you, yeah, you're, you're even getting remembering <laughs> that. This is so helpful. It's great. <laughs> I, I have to. I have to because I know that it's not going to be, you know, one one opinion or one modification or one suggestion is going to going to fit all. So I need to get, put at least five, six, seven out there so that at least at least one people at least try using one in their practice or one in their own bedroom at least one. So even that can be life changing. Sometimes I love it. Yes. Okay. So I think okay. So fifth is I actually um and I I actually love this part because it's it's more sensory based and. And it, it's, it is much more adapted from sensate focus technique, but a little more modified towards occupational therapy in a way that if, if you are trying to use a hot pack and trying to stretch out in some way, trying to do it in a more sexy way and, you know, maybe let the partner do it for you. And maybe yeah. you, you use this way to, you know, if, if say you're going to do it for your hands, try to keep like a warmer, like a hand glove or anything of that sort of, you know, just, just the partner can warm their hands just a little bit by rubbing, rubbing the palms together and like try to hold your partner's hand. Who knows? I mean, sometimes it, it gets so intimate. It's the, the, the idea is that somebody's caring for you and that sometimes works like a turn on for somebody. Totally. And, and it, uh, yeah, it does. And, and you know, the, there are two benefits to it. You're already releasing a little bit of stiffness from the joints, but at the same time, you are also recreating that kind of passion and desire for your for your partner. So even though it's not, who knows, it can lead to something sexual, but then you have still connected with your partner in some way or the other, right? And and pain is not something that's dominating their their body right now because they have much like they have other emotions to tend to at this moment. Right. So again. Just do it. Do it for anything, be it in the sort of massage, 
or you know just taking a little bit of hot oil just running it through the hands anything of that sort anything which eases your partner's pain but at the same time is keeping you all connected and if at all you decide to engage into anything further your partner is trapped they have they already have stretched a little bit and you you have helped them do that right 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 mm-hmm. yeah and okay what else am i using well i think the positioning i i actually like aids and i think that they are so sexy and so you, do, do you count like pillows as a positioning aid or do you mean like something more i do okay okay i do i i can i anything apart from the usual thing then does not have to be fancy one of these times the couple really uh, so the female really had a lot of problems um so she, so she had this habit of crawling keeping the fingers inside when she tried to um wait bare on her hands in in a doggy position mm-hmm. and you know when you try to shift it for her it's just a little modified doggy when you do not go back like you are not yeah. on all your fours but then yeah. you can hold the bed stand and the bed stand yeah. was had a broader curvature right mm-hmm. so even if this is her moment because because she whatever way she feels that she needs to contract because that's an involuntary movement maybe you can do it on the bed side right which right. already has a broader curvature even if it does not if even if it's not that way you can just put like a strip of foam over there or dunlop over there or just use you can just keep your blanket there anything of that yeah. sort anything that's much more thicker much more comfortable that does not put a lot of strain on your hands and does not make you take all of your body weight that makes sense yeah mm-hmm. so so one of those things really helps even even with slings i think uh one of the one of my patients could not afford spl- uh, slings and it slings actually uh, if you actually buy them off the market like the proper black ones which they which they show and adaptive devices for mm-hmm. um all the king for all king can bds and stuff it mm-hmm. it really 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 helps because it really helps you position your partner so your partner won't be taking yeah they won't be taking uh, in like when you actually start doing the activity analysis even for positioning you see that a lot of patients actually are taking like putting a lot of body weight on their hands yes. or just on the fingers or on the thinner area like right here mm-hmm. so and the wrist again by default goes in this ulna position where you know mm-hmm. in an ulnar deviation and a little more pressure or your thinner remnants so which again is going to create like when we say these are the bad positions when you are dealing with rheumatoid arthritis yeah. so yeah so i think in that case links really help you to um support your partner right in yeah. that way when you are taking the lead role or or if you are like if you're not dominant you're submissive or anything of that sort anybody mm-hmm. who's taking the lead role a sling can actually help you position and take your weight off your hands even with aids i think i i do um recommend lube lubricants a lot uh, especially yeah. to bodies with vulva and people who are identifying as females because um they usually do complain of vaginal dryness because yeah. of uh, disease modifying drugs so the, and that is also one of the part of client education that i i do i actually try and make, i i ask them if they are aware of their diagnosis and i usually communicate and, and i ask them to tell me about what they think about their diagnosis it a diagnosis is or you know what can the limitations be or have they understood everything and you know what can what can be the side effects of these medications and most often you will see that nobody is explaining the client about their diagnosis which is yeah which is such a horrible thing to do 
why wouldn't you explain somebody about their own diagnosis i get it they won't get the whole part but then you need to explain at least just a little bit and oh, especially yeah. especially if 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 medications are going to do that and i know um uh, uh like i said like when i was still um uh, like doing my bachelors and i think one of the clients said that i'm trying to uh, get pregnant and do you think these medications are going to you know affect mm. that any of those things because my husband then my husband then won't be engaging in these kind of activities with me and you know most likely it will lead to a divorce because that is that is how it has been right now because they think that i cannot give them a baby because of this thing so wow. so the whole yeah so the whole idea and the whole dynamics of not understanding of how these these medications can affect you or what actually could be the side effects of these medications is really shocking yeah. so that that is that is something that i usually usually have like that's the first thing that i do in my client consultation is that we talk about the diagnosis we discuss what they understand what i understand and what usually can happen so that they know that this is not something weird that's happening to their body or they are the only person experiencing this but there's something that we can do and i think that is that is that is when we started exploring lubricants and ideally pedity did say ky jelly and then when i started learning about lubricants and i realized um that that's bullshit nobody should be using ky jelly oh why <laughs> what's wrong with it i'm just curious okay so there are a couple of things that go uh, into choosing a lubricant but um one of the major things is osmolality so it's about maintaining the apart from ph and every other thing there is some you need to um maintain the concentration uh, of your skin when you are using anything else so it's like the whole osmosis pr- process if you're familiar with mm-hmm. um the, the from the larger concentration it goes to the smaller concentration things like that so mm-hmm. ky jelly um so the ideal actually the epithelial surface or the human um skin surface is actually going to have an osmolality of somewhere around 300 uh milli osmo osmo per kilogram that is that is the unit and ky jelly is somewhere and 1200 is the recommended one so look at the levels so it's 300 that 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 your body can take 1200 that's recommended and okay. ky jelly is somewhere around 2000 and above so rather than uh, and and so rather than doing any good to you it is actually going to make your surrounding skin much more drier and oh and it's going to make you reapply it again and again so you are reapplying something that is not already good for you and you're doing it in a lot of doses and yeah. since you are using it for vaginal dryness you have already spoiled the entire integrity of the vaginal <sighs> area yeah wow <laughs> i know it's kind of like they say a certain um it reminds me of certain chapsticks you're not supposed to use cuz they dry out your lips it's probably the same yeah yeah okay okay so that all lubricants are not created equal is what i'm learning they absolutely <laughs> aren't oh no 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 okay and then you also want something that's paraben free that's sulfate free petroleum free everything free right and i don't think astroglide or ky jelly is free of any of those bad stuff okay so with aids i think i have one more thing that is toys and they they usually help you a lot is that include vibrators 
Yes, absolutely. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, sorry. I just want to make sure. No, everything. You can use anything and everything that you want. You can have dildos. You can have vibrators. You can have uh, one that that can be used. Okay, so even with vibrators, you have internal vibrators, external vibrators, something that you can put inside, like like I said, inside. And then you have these suction cups. Then you have masturbation sleeves. There's so much happening with toys. And and it can really help you because um, I I know one of... One of um, the clients that I had suggested a masturbation sleeve for, the partner was asking for a hand job and it was much more difficult for her to do it because with the kind of strength it required. Now, these yes. masturbation sleeves are incredible. You can just pour lube into it and they already have these buds inside which can act like great stimulators. It does not, it does not necessarily vibrate. I think you can find a different kind of masturbation sleeve that vibrates, but I did not recommend a one that vibrates at the same time because I thought it, it would do much more damage to her small joints while she'd be holding them. But then it's so much more broader. It's so much more broader so that you are using lesser effort because you are using something else, but there's an enhanced sensation for the partner. So you, you don't have to use a lot of energy. Right now we are thinking that they need, the joint needs, to be in good position you aren't exerting a lot of pressure and your partner feels good at the same time all three check boxes so it's just that they need to be more open about it as long as they feel that yeah the, the only discussion comes around openness to using these things as long as you like provide these options not as like you need a walking stick how can you need a walking stick it, it's like that you need to you need to move away from the idea Everything can be sexy as long as you think it's sexy. That is so true. That is all that matters. Anything, for for God's sake, a blanket. I'm not even trying to, you know, make everything sound like you need to go outside and buy these things. Not really. You don't have to. So um, have, yeah. Perfect. And that's. I think that's a huge list of uh, modifications or aids that you can use. And. They usually help so much. And like, like the, the, the way we discussed about sexual experience, they, these aids actually work that way. They are enhancing your pleasure. They are saving your energy. But at the same time, it's, it's keeping it pleasurable for both of you. You see your partner feeling good. You feel good about it. Right. And vice versa. Same. And I think the last and my favorite that I've discovered like in the last six months is pleasure mapping where you go everywhere you can choose anything you want and pleasure mapping actually includes the whole bunch of modalities and everything else that i discussed here because and as long as it's pleasurable you can do anything you want you can go ahead can you Mm -hmm. define what is a pleasure map is it like do you write down all the places in your body that are pleasurable or all the things that you like that make you feel good one of yeah that is how we start about it oh okay so when you yeah so that is when you when you sit down with your partner, you can just draw a, like a picture of your body. Yeah. Oh. You can just say or talk about the parts that you find the most pleasurable. Right. Mm-hmm. And let your partner do the same. Right. And it works both the ways. So if I and you are doing it, I will, um, you will actually write down the, the parts that are most pleasurable for you. And I am going to write down what I think is the most pleasurable for you. And again, same, I will write the parts that are most pleasurable for me. And you are going to put your um, ideas to what you think works best for me. Compare all these four charts. 
and that usually tells you a lot more about what you are trying to do with your partner rather than what they actually like so mm. now you both have mapped the pleasure together and you both know that there are certain areas or certain spots that you had already known and there are certain things that that actually don't work for your partner but you thought it's good so you maybe you don't spend a lot of time there it's going to save you a lot of energy especially when you are in pain um there's a lot more fatigue fatigue or you know that the medication time is going is not going to stay for very long but you still want to do it it just saves you a lot of time that that's all that's all that's you are beautiful. not wasting your your you are not wasting your energy doing something that your partner does not like but rather you are using whatever amount of energy and time that you both have into something amazing and pleasurable together and then you explore these erogenous zones the other zones apart from the genitals so that right. you can spend some more time there so it does not have to be anal oral and then let's go in <laughs> right right so there's there's a lot more happening with the body everybody have their has their own sweet spots everybody has some area that works the best for them or some method that works the best for them some position that works the best for them let's do that let's go through everything that we can that and, makes so much mm-hmm. sense like there's always part, you get into routines especially like in an established relationship you know you have your little routines and you and and you can forget like oh yeah my ears are actually like really sensitive but like we just haven't really gotten that in our routine yet so you know or like my lower back is like i do like being touched on my lower back but i don't always like you know communicate that or something so that's such True. a great exercise i love that i love the whole technique of body mapping because it requires so much communication and the idea about what you think and that's 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 the whole thing uh, where i and this was the biggest thing that i experienced that everybody was saving time and energy yeah. and at the end result was a lot of pleasure right which is right and and what better than saving time and energy for a person who is already uh, diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis you have that that is exactly what they need we're trying to simplify their work if if that is how you want to um, again totally oh i love it i <laughs> love it um you know do you have any uh, like anything else you wanted to say in conclusion i mean this has all been wonderful so there's no pressure i just didn't want to end it without giving you any final closing words know yourself do what suits you the best and you are awesome So that's all. <laughs> yeah. No, that confidence is the most sexy thing. That loving yourself is attractive. Let's put it in the positive. When you love yourself, it's attractive, I think. I, true, true. And I would say that I don't love myself, but the fact that I'm proud of certain things in my life, they they do make me feel a lot more confident. So even mm-hmm. though I I do not feel confident about saying that i i suffer with some uh, disabilities or i have chronic illnesses if if i'm not proud about saying all these things i can still say that i'm an awesome person who's trying yeah. to create an awesome job and i'm bloody good at it yeah and that that that's all that's all and and yeah disability is part of my life yeah yeah it's like a ps note but not the main starting sentence of my life right 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 i love um one of the women i interviewed just said I have RA but RA doesn't have me. Living along I like to talk about living alongside rheumatoid arthritis or living with it um but it's not like it controls me it's just something that I that is um true 
with True. me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, True. this is so great. Thank you so much. I'm going to make sure <laughs> to, you know, include all the links to your different, um, you know, accounts on Instagram and any ways people, I'm sure you're going to have people that want to get in touch with you. Do you see people outside of India? This I, time? Do. I do. I oh, do. I do. It's Delhi Hell. Like I said, one of those masturbation sleeve adaptation was for somebody outside. That's right. Because, yeah. Yeah. Because um, it's still very expensive. Like masturbation or sex toys aren't very um, progressive here as of yet. And even the ones that are, they are really, they are really expensive. Mm-hmm. So it's only the urban population who can use it. It's not very inclusive in its innovation that way. And so... So yes, but then, but then you have so many great things. And I think that is one of the, the awesome things that I've learned about it because, and the reason why I have got such good at doing what I do is because mm-hmm. I've got like this global exposure of clients, you know, people, yeah. even with telehealth, if they come over here and they want to talk about things, I would spend a lot of time talking to them and, you know, knowing about what do they like? What is it like in their culture? What is their interpretation right. of their culture? Right. And you just learn so much. You learn so much. Oh, that's so, yeah. That's, and it is a <laughs> universal experience that, you know, that mm, true. people have. True. But each person experiences. It's, it, it's like a um, paradox. It's like it's universal that most, a lot of people have it, but that it's still so individual. It, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's both. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. This is so helpful. I think you've chosen such a wonderful niche that an important part of a lot of people's quality of life. And 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 since nobody talks about it, there's so much less information and you tend to give out the wrong kind of information, Mm. which in turn does not make you feel good about anything at all. So it just seems like occupational therapists are so perfectly positioned because we have this biopsychosocial, right? We're approach. We're not just looking at the physical, not just the positions, but we're looking at holistically at your, your internal mental processes of your psychological well-being and your social. This is an interaction between human beings. So yeah, I, I just think I, I'm, I'm happy to elevate, you know, the role mm-hmm. of OT in helping people with arthritis or other conditions have, you know, the best sexual wellness that they can. I think that's wonderful. Like I said, it, we, we really think that there's no information out there. And to be very honest, we have all the information that we need. We just need to think about it in a sexy way. That is all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is all. I, like, I mean, I don't think I mentioned any of the things uh, tonight uh, with you that there was any different from what we would have done as an occupational therapist working with some other kind of population. It's pretty much the same. I think we just don't made it just a tiny bit sexy. And that is, I think that that's the only difference in my treatment approaches. I think that's, that's all. Well, thank you so, so much. <laughs> this is, thank really you so much. Delightful. It was so amazing. I think we need to have a separate day to talk about other yes. things. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No. And I said before, like, I wanted, I want these to feel like a conversation between friends. And it's funny because I feel like we do really connect. And even though we had never talked before today, it is so funny to me. But, it was, it was so yeah. much fun. It's so amazing. Okay, well, okay. Thank you. I'm going to stop the recording, but we can keep talking for a second. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to check out my latest courses and resources on myarthritislife.net. This episode is brought to you by the Rheumatoid Arthritis Roadmap, your guide to a full life with RA. 
It's my comprehensive online education and empowerment program. I'm so excited about it. And to learn more, go to www.myarthritislife.net. You can also connect with me on my social media accounts on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even TikTok. Check out the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.